Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. Your host, Al Melchior, and uh, thank you for tuning in, and uh, happy Monday to you. Happy Day Baseball. Got the... uh, the uh, first of two doubleheader games already underway. Yankees, Tigers. Uh, not going so great for the Tigers so far, but we'll uh, check in on that one. Uh, obviously, going well for the Yankees. That's uh, the flip side of that. Uh, very, very small slate. I think maybe the smallest one of the season so far. We've got the the first game there of uh, Tigers, Yankees, and then we've got the nightcap, and we've got three games on the West Coast. That's it. So not much getting in the way of following the uh, MLB draft tonight. Starts at 7 o'clock Eastern. Uh, there'll be a little bit of uh, TV coverage, I think, just before that. But, uh, yeah, other than Tigers-Yankees, there's going to be uh, nothing doing on the field until uh, a little bit after uh, 7 o'clock Pacific time tonight. Uh, so there's not going to be a whole lot, really, to talk about in terms of uh, the slate. But uh, I'll break it down nonetheless just won't take as long, uh, perhaps, as it usually does. Uh, But there's plenty of news to get to from the weekend. And, in fact, plenty of news to get to just from uh, today, uh, just within the last hour or so, a report coming from uh, Southern California News Group that the Dodgers are going to call up uh, Caleb Ferguson uh, from AAA. He's a lefty, 21 years old. And uh, the presumption is he'll slide right into the rotation because Dodgers still need somebody to uh, fill uh, Clayton Kershaw's uh, vacant spot. So, um, you know, you've got uh, sort of a a makeshift rotation right now for the Dodgers. Uh, So the way it looks as of right now, uh, Dodgers not playing tonight. They're not one of the West Coast teams on the schedule. But uh, they'll be back at it tomorrow with Ross Stripling, who, of course, has just been sensational in this latest iteration uh, in the the Dodgers rotation. Then they've got that TBD slot uh, on, uh, and this is, by the way, in Pittsburgh. So uh, Stripling get the opener against the Pirates in Pittsburgh. Then Wednesday, I think it's fair to assume that you'll see Caleb Ferguson in that one because, again, that's the the game where they don't have an announced starter yet. And then announced for their Thursday start is Dennis Santana, uh, who was called up late last week. And uh, so he is going to figure into the Dodger rotation plan. So he'll take the finale in that three-game series uh, with the Pirates and then uh, come back around for uh, Walker Buehler and Alex Wood to take the first two games in the Braves series. So uh, that's uh, all shaping up, just like I said, within the last hour or so with this news of Caleb Ferguson getting called up now uh ferguson just recently was promoted from double a AA to triple a 
Uh, had a very, very good uh, eight-start stint uh, at Double A. A 1.38 ERA. Uh, went three and zero there. Uh, 9.2 strikeouts per nine, and uh, just made two starts with the uh, uh, Dodgers Double A affiliate. So um, there he has just pitched eight innings, but with 12 strikeouts, but also with seven walks. So, um, you know, we have not seen a whole lot of Caleb Ferguson uh, above the uh, the double A level. Just those uh, just those uh, two uh, starts at AAA with, uh, like I said, a lot of strikeouts and a lot of walks in those. So be a whole lot to look at uh, with the Dodgers uh, next few days, uh, seeing if um, Ross Stripling can continue his uh, recent mastery. And then we get a look at a couple of prospects. So we get a look at, uh, like I said, it, uh, I have not seen this officially yet, but it looks like Caleb Ferguson pitching on Wednesday and then uh, Dennis Santana on uh, Thursday. So uh, that's, uh, you know, some uh, some interesting news to get our, our week uh, started off uh, so far. So in uh, some other news, uh, Chris Archer is questionable for his next start left his uh, last outing on Saturday with a groin issue and apparently still uh, having uh, some, some discomfort. And he is scheduled to have uh, an MRI sometime today, according to Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. So hopefully we'll uh, know more about that. Of course, uh, most of us have already had to set our lineups. So I benched, uh, I benched Archer this week. So that's a tough go. Uh, in fact, I benched both Archer and Noah Syndergaard in a league where they're my top two pitchers. So I'm really uh, hoping for some uh, some good luck from uh, my, my fill-in starters, who, by the way, include uh, Anthony Desclafani, who is uh, scheduled to make his season debut. He's been on the DL all year. Uh, so he's uh, ex- uh, scheduled to make his season debut Tuesday, against the Colorado Rockies at Great American Ballpark, according to the Cincinnati Inquirer. So he lines up as a two-star pitcher this week. But, yeah, I'd rather have a one-star Chris Archer than a two-star Anthony Desclafani, to be sure. No doubt about that. But wasn't taking any chances getting a W, or uh, getting a zero, rather, from uh, from Chris Archer. Or, uh, like I said, also from Noah Syndergaard. Uh, it's not known to fill be back uh, later on this week when he'll be eligible to come off the DL. Speaking of which, Mookie Betts over the weekend, Friday night to be precise, uh, Mookie Betts was placed on the DL with his uh, left abdominal strain, and that was made retroactively to May 29th, but he's actually been out three days longer than that, but MLB rules prohibit the Red Sox, or any team for that matter, from extending a DL stint retroactively more than three days. So that's why uh, it goes back to the 29th. That would line bets up possibly to return this Friday. But, um, you know, th- there's no guarantee that's going to be a minimum stay for Mookie Betts. And even if there were, I'd be very hard-pressed. I think basically it would have to be an AL-only league where I would start Mookie Betts with some assurance that he'd play three games this week. And we don't have that that assurance. So uh, if you have a rolling lineup lock and you still are able to make a decision on Mookie Betts, I personally would, would go with somebody else. Like I said, maybe 
uh, in an AL only league, I wouldn't have a better option. But I think in almost any mixed league, you're you're certainly going to have a better option than uh, Mookie Betts with a maximum of three games uh, possibly this week. Also, it read that this is the first DL uh, transaction involving an, an abdominal injury this year, which I found very surprising. Uh, anyhow, in other Red Sox injury news, J.D. Martinez uh, is day-to-day with back spasms, had to leave uh, Sunday's game early. Uh, the manager, Alex Cora, says he's not concerned, according to The Athletic. And also in that report, it states that uh, Martinez does expect to return tomorrow. But, uh, you know, again, that's just the expectation. So nothing definitive there. But uh, tomorrow, Red Sox hosting the the Tigers once they're done with their uh, doubleheader today. Head on out to Fenway Park. So uh, that'll be uh, maybe we see uh, J.D. Martinez in the Red Sox lineup tomorrow. But, of course, we will definitely not see Mookie Betts. Matt Davidson was activated by the uh, Chicago White Sox. So uh, he's back, and you can get him into your lineup. And uh, coming back to some Dodgers news, Cody Ballinger, of course, been struggling, even been uh, sitting uh, out of the starting lineup a couple of times recently. And according to Dave Roberts, uh, telling the Orange County Register, he said in regard to possibly sending Cody Ballinger back down to the minors, he said, I don't know. We're not there yet. Obviously, we'd have to really think through it. We haven't got to that point yet, but you can see it's been tough sledding for him for the first two months of the season. So that's a quote in the Orange County Register from Dodgers manager Dave Roberts. So basically, though, the the upshot here is that it's not just an outright rejection of the idea that Cody Bellinger could go back to the minors. So, yeah, if you're Cody Bellinger owner, maybe that's in your future. Um, but uh, that's obviously one to look over the next few days. Uh, Dodgers having to make make a lot of changes, mostly because of injuries, but uh, you know, there's a, a different type of decision that might be on the way uh, for the Dodgers. Uh, it's time for the daily Daniel Murphy update. It seemed like I updated his situation every day last week, and every day it was a different story. And there were actually a couple of reports on Murphy over the weekend, neither one particularly encouraging. So one was in the Washington Post, uh, where basically it said that uh, he's not looking like he's ready in his rehab stint, that he looks gimpy. And then uh, according to MLB.com, manager Davey Martinez said, I think we're still a ways. That's uh, the, the, the direct quote from Davey Martinez. I think we're still a ways from activating Daniel Murphy. So uh, if you are like me and you're a Wilmer Defoe owner, Looks pretty safe to get him in your lineup this week. So I, I felt good about starting Wilmer Defoe this week. If you're Daniel Murphy owner, definitely do not uh, start him this week if you still have a decision there to make because it sounds like he is not really close to ready. And again, that's somewhat contradicting some of the reports that were out, out last week. Todd Frazier, on the other hand, he is expected to be back for the Mets and be there uh, for the beginning of their series with the Orioles tomorrow, according to the Bergen record. On Sunday, Jeremy Helkson had to leave his start in the first inning with a strained right hamstring, and he is scheduled uh, to have an MRI today, according to MLB.com. 
Uh, he was relieved by Jeffrey Rodriguez, who was recently called up from Double A Harrisburg, and um, that that was uh, Rodriguez's debut on Sunday in uh, long relief of Jeremy Hellickson. Uh Eric Thames, somebody haven't talked about on the show in a while. We've not really had to think about him much because Jesus Aguilar has been very, very good in replacing uh, Thames, the first base for the Brewers. And now, according to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, we have uh, uh, a statement here from Craig Council uh, about Thames uh, saying that uh, Thames is going to play an extended spring training today and tomorrow. So that's Monday and Tuesday. You're listening to this on demand. And if things go well, then uh, he will proceed on to a minor league rehab stint with one of the affiliates, although Council did not name which affiliate. So based on Thames's initial timetable, he could be, again, if things go well, he could be maybe about two weeks away from returning. And then it's going to be a really tricky situation there because already, well, basically what, what's happened is you've had Aguilar step in for Thames into what was already a crowded situation because uh, you, you've got uh, four outfielders to split those three spots, and, and you've got Ryan Braun, who could play first base now, but uh, Braun struggled at the plate. Aguilar's been terrific. Thames was terrific before he got hurt. So it's really come down to pretty much of an outfield rotation for the Brewers, and the loss of Thames didn't really ease that up whatsoever. And now you're going to have a situation that's worse, where you have Aguilar, who's established himself. You're going to have Eric Thames coming back, and you're still going to have four outfielders trying to fill three slots. So uh, there was some uh, speculation on FanRex Sports by Robert Murray that maybe the Brewers tried to trade uh, Thames. That would actually make a whole lot of sense. Um, but in the meantime, there's going to be quite a roster crunch there. And I would think, unless they could trade Thames pretty much immediately, that they're going to have to sh- showcase them, which I would think would mean some lost playing time for Aguilar. So anyways, this is at least a couple of weeks off. But nonetheless, if you own any of the, the players involved, whether it's Aguilar or Thames or Ryan Braun or maybe Domingo Santana, who's uh, lost some playing time as a result of this roster crunch, uh, if you have any of those players who are basically stakeholders in this situation, uh, this is something that you do need to be aware of, that that is coming down the pike. Uh, from The Athletic, we have a report here on Johnny Cueto that uh, he felt good throwing from 120 feet, and so he also did some additional light tossing off of a mound. And also, Bruce Bochy says that uh, if all continues to go well, Cueto could be back by the end of June. So uh, some pretty good news there for Johnny Cueto, although, again, that's uh, about four weeks away, and that sounds like a a best-case scenario. So there'll be a lot of time to uh, see how that situation uh, winds up settling itself out. So that pretty much catches us up with the uh, major news from today and from over the weekend. Like I said, very, very uh, slight slate for today. We've got the Yankees and Tigers in progress. Uh, We've got a nightcap in that doubleheader. And then uh, we've got three West Coast games. So as for the game in progress, it is seven to two Yankees. And uh, that was Drew Verhagen getting the spot start for the Tigers didn't make it out of the fourth inning, gave up uh, seven runs, all earned on seven hits, two walks, only a couple strikeouts, gave up uh, three homers to the Yankees. I'll uh, 
uh, count those down in a second. But we got Sandy Baez, who was recently called up, uh, pitching in long relief and actually doing quite well. Uh, four scoreless innings so far against the Yankees. And uh, right now he's pitching the top of the eighth uh, to Glaber Torres. But as of right now, still 7-2. to two. Yankees are the Tigers. Luis Severino uh, going the full seven innings so far for the Yankees. Uh, just two, two runs, one earned on four hits, no walks, and 10K. So great start for Luis Severino. It's not just Drew Verhagen that uh, struggled in that one. Uh, Tigers lineup not getting a whole lot done against the Yankees. So I will take a look at any lineups that come in as of right now. No lineups yet. The weather. And uh, take a look back at some of the weekend performances right after this break. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fancy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fancy Sports Radio Network app. The Fancy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fancy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fancy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and uh, it is draft day. So not a lot going on tonight in terms of games. We've got four more games uh, on schedule. Uh, we've got the nightcap for Tigers-Yankees uh, at 7 Eastern, and then we got three games at 7 Pacific. Uh, but also at 7 Eastern, we've got uh, the MLB draft coming up. Tigers will be on the clock at uh, 7 Eastern tonight. And uh, the general consensus is uh, Casey Mize. The uh, pitcher from Auburn is going to be the uh, the number one pick, but uh, apparently that's not uh, uh, totally a done deal. Uh, I saw a report on Twitter that uh, Joey Bart, catcher from Georgia Tech, he may be under consideration there. So um, be interesting to watch. And uh, like I said, that starts at uh, seven tonight. And since there's not, there's only going to be one game going on at that point. Uh, might as well check in and see, uh, you know, who's going to be joining your, your favorite team's uh, farm system a little bit later on. So uh, as for uh, daily lineups, again, not a whole lot to do there really uh, because of the lack of games. Uh, but uh, then again, you know, all the more that uh, the weather forecast is important and there is no major chance of precipitation or any sort of weather event for any of the games tonight, the only one that has even a slight chance of precipitation is the Padres hosting the Braves. Uh, that is a 10-10 uh, Eastern, 7-10 Pacific scheduled start at Petco Park. Julio Tehran and Clayton Richard. Uh, there are no lineups for any of these four games in. And it's understandable that you wouldn't have a Yankees-Tigers lineup yet because that game is still in progress, the, the first game of the doubleheader. Uh, but it, well, I guess understandable that none of the lineups are in because, uh, like I said, the other three are all 7 p.m. 
Pacific time starts. But you're starting pitchers for those games. Uh, it's for Royals at Angels. It's going to be Danny Duffy and Nick Tropiano. And then you got the D-backs at the Giants. Zach Godley versus Derek Holland. And yet that means that Zach Godley lines up for a two-start week. But the second start, second scheduled start, is at Coors Field. So I voted Godley this week uh, for whatever that is worth. Um, although I certainly don't have an issue with Godley at the Giants. Uh, good venue, decent matchup. Um, so, uh, you know, Godley's pitched pretty well at home where there's uh, obviously a an advantage in terms of park factor now at Chase Field. We've seen that the Humidor has had, uh, had an impact there. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's about it for uh, tonight's games. So let's move ahead, or actually I should say let's move backward, move ahead with the show, but backwards in terms of uh, looking at the games from Sunday and a big, big homer day at Target Field. Now, I was there two weeks ago to see the, the Brewers in town, Brewers versus Twins. And it was really windy. It was cold, too, but it was really windy. And I thought, well, we're really going to see the ball fly out of the park. And it was was a, a definitely a, a good game for offense. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that game, uh, you know, basically was told by uh, Sunday's uh, Twins-Indians game to, to hold their beer because uh, <laughs> that was uh, quite, the, uh, quite the slugfest on Sunday. You had two multi-homer games come out of that one. Eddie Rosario. Uh, with three home runs, numbers 11, 12, and 13. And in that game, much like the one I went to a couple weeks ago, very, very strong wind going out to right field. So with uh, the left-handed Eddie Rosario, who's really pulling the ball a lot this year, much more so than his last couple of seasons, uh, that's a really favorable uh, situation for him to to have a big game. So... um, Three homers for Rosario in that one against the Indians. His pull rate this year so far is 48%, which is maybe not quite extreme, but very high. Maybe just, a, I think I consider anything in the 50s to be pretty extreme. So he's he's almost there. And Edwin Encarnacion also with a couple of home runs, his 15th and 16th. And he got up to that number in a hurry because uh, I'm sure we all remember the very slow start that Encarnacion got off to this year. Uh, but, you know, like he's done in past seasons, he has, uh, you know, absolutely caught fire, uh, caught fire in, in May and continuing on into June. So uh, he's somebody that uh, obviously we it's understandable that I know some people were worried, but really it, it would have been premature. And it, in retrospect, now it was premature to worry about Edwin Encarnacion, given that he does tend to be a slow starter. And uh, you know, I think the reason that we do worry is where he's at uh, on the age curve. But uh, clearly, nowhere even close to done yet for uh, Edwin Encarnacion. And Max Muncie, also not close to being done. Of course, he's really just getting started, getting his first real crack at regular playing time with the Dodgers this year. Never really caught on with the A's, but now with the Dodgers, uh, you know, in part because of the woes of Cody Bellinger, but he's you know, Matt Muncy's versatile, so he can play you know first, second, third. You know, could uh, play the outfield. So uh, he's certainly getting his opportunities to play, and his his bat is keeping him in there. He hit a couple of home runs on Sunday. Now they're at Coors Field, and I have to wonder if maybe people 
are discounting the two homer performance because it happened at Coors Field. He's now got nine home runs on the season, Muncy. But when you look at the peripherals, or, or just you know, not even the peripherals, just look at the the stats before this series at Colorado. I mean, Muncy has just been pounding the ball, so it's absolutely astounding to me that in on the two sites where loaner, uh, ownership rates tend to be lower, I'm sorry, tend to be higher. Sorry, I mixed that up. Uh, CBS and Fantrax tend to have deeper leagues, uh, typically uh, more weekly versus, you know, as opposed to daily leagues. Uh, so ownership rates tend to be quite a bit higher on CBS and Fantrax than they are on ESPN and Yahoo. And uh, on CBS, Muncie is still available in the majority of leagues. He is 42% owned. So it's not even just like a, you know, a teeny tiny majority that uh, Muncie is available in. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a decent majority. So he's only 42% owned in CBS leagues. And fan tracks, which I, I find typically to have the highest ownership rates, he is 35% owned, Max Muncie, in fan tracks leagues. That's, that's just incredible to me. So I, I think people have been uh, overall a little bit slow to trust Max Muncie. And, uh, you know, could just be some healthy skepticism that he's not been hitting like this for all that long. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, maybe not trusting the, the playing time. But uh, I picked him up in a 12-teamer this weekend and was was thrilled to get him and, and put him in my starting lineup this week. Uh, in outfield, by the way. But part of the, you know, allure of Muncie is not just that, you know, putting up good stats and, and backing them up with, you know, high exit velocity and high distance. Um, but that he is eligible at a lot of different positions. So coming out of that Rocky series, Muncie is hitting just two, uh, 243, um, despite the fact that his strikeout rate is only just a little bit elevated, 25%. I mean, that's really not that bad. And so that 243 batting average has got 254 BABIP. So we may, we may see better yet from Max Muncie to come. Uh, he's got the nine home runs, which, which I mentioned before, 23 RBI in 126 plate appearances. So, you know, you prorate that out over, you know, what would be a full season of play. And you're not just going to triple it because we're about a third of the way into the season because he's earlier on, he wasn't playing that much. But, um, you know, you say you take the, the 126 plate appearances and figure – that's normally about a quarter of a season, I think conservatively speaking, for a regular or close to regular player. And you're, you're on almost a, a 100 RBI pace. So he's hitting with power. He's producing runs. Uh, he's getting on base. This is something that Muncie has always done, always taken a lot of walks. He's got a 13.5% walk rate. He's got a 349 on base percentage, which is pretty good as is, and is only likely to get higher as he gets more hits on balls and play going forward, which I think is all but certain to happen. And he's got a 308 ISO. He's hit with tons of power. Uh, like I said, it's backed up, uh, you know, if you look at uh, StatCast data uh, or XStats. In fact, according to XStats, I think he's one of the, at least last time I checked, which was probably about a week ago, once he was one of the leaders in in terms of um, of hard contact. So... Uh, I'm not sure why there isn't more of a rush to pick up Max Muncy, but 
uh, if you haven't, see if he's there. Pick him up if you can. Uh, David Peralta, another player you should pick up if he's out there, but I'm sure he's far less available. Uh, Peralta hit his 10th home run of the season against the Marlins on Sunday. It's his third straight game with a home run. Uh, so he's now up to 10. Also hit his eighth double of the season in that game on Sunday. And Peralta, in a lot of ways, sort of a, a you know similar profile to, uh, to Muncie. I think you can probably count on him to strike out a little bit less going forward. So far, Peralta's got a 22% strikeout rate. Um, but last year, it was only 16%. So there's room for improvement there. He's got a 308 BABIP, which sounds normal. and doesn't sound like he's getting cheated whatsoever. But Peralta's the kind of player who typically hits really well on balls in play. He's got a 336 career BABIP and a very low pull rate. And uh, usually hits with with decent power, uh, but really more you know doubles power than home run power typically. But um, like I said, he's like got ten home runs so far. He has played in fifty two games. He has made two hundred twenty four plate appearances. So here you can play the proration game with David Peralta and figure okay, let's just triple the numbers. He's on a thirty homer pace. Now, obviously, you know, coming off of a uh, stretch of three straight games with home runs, I mean, that's, you know, he could slow down that pace. But here's the thing. His career high in home runs was 2015, his first full season in the majors. Peralta hit 17 home runs that year. Last year, he hit 14, so pretty close to that mark. Those are basically his two, 2015, 2017, are Peralta's two seasons where he played a full year, um, you know, not uh, missing a lot of time, you know, due to injury uh, or, you know, 2014 where he just didn't start the year in the majors. So 17 homers in 2015, 14 homers in 2017. He's not far from topping last season's total. And if he just doubles those 10 homers, he'll obviously be setting a new career high with some room to spare. And if he stays on pace or just a little bit below pace, David Peralta is going to obliterate his previous career high in home runs. So you've got somebody who's, even though he's batting 267 right now, I think it's pretty much a lock rest of season to hit 285, 290, maybe even 300. You wouldn't say a lock to hit 300, but certainly wouldn't be weird if he did. But certainly a lock to hit in the 280s, and probably you could expect higher, given the type of hitter that he is. Um, so you could expect going forward a 290 average, and maybe 15 to 20 homers rest of way uh, for David Peralta. He's somebody to go uh, on your waiver wire and check if he is out there. Although, again, coming off of three straight games with a home run, it's you know probably not going to be the sneakiest time to try to find David Peralta, but uh, he, he could be out there. Uh, Justin Smokes on, on a bit of a hot streak. Had a three-hit game against the Tigers on Sunday which uh, included his ninth home run of the season. Now, check that out. Would you have guessed a third of the way through the season that David Peralta would have one more home run than Justin Smoke? I would not have thought that. Uh, his ninth home run of the season and his 13th double of the season for Justin Smoke. So having a decidedly worse season this year than he did last year. But he's he's closing the gap. His last 19 games, Smoke is batting 286. He has a 458 on-base percentage. 
and a 603 slugging. So he is red hot right now. Uh, and over that 19-game stretch, five homers, five doubles. So um, I'm not at all convinced that uh, this is the beginning of something great and long-lasting for Justin Smoke. But, uh, you know, certainly not uh, a bad uh, hitter to be just plugging into your lineup for, uh, you know, the coming week or whenever is the next time you can you can make a lineup change. And Dansby Swanson, uh, maybe having a, little, a bit of a breakout season, certainly uh, had a very good weekend. And on Sunday, hit his fifth home run of the season, his 12th double, also walked, so reaching a total of uh, three times. And... Um, you know, definitely uh, a big upgrade over last year, in spite of the fact that, you know, he's not been hot all season and, and he missed some time. But uh, as of right now, uh, heading into this week, Swanson's batting 263, but he's got 324 uh, on base and 437 slugging, uh, five homers, 20 runs, 22 RBI, and a couple of steals. So not exactly head-turning numbers, but definitely miles ahead of uh the, the pace that he was on last season. So, um, and again, you know, just, just 24. So room for uh, Swanson to certainly build on what he's done so far this year. And one more hitter on a hot streak, Adam Engel, who's actually moved his way up in the White Sox lineup. He uh, batted fifth on Sunday and uh, nice all around game for, uh, for Adam Engel against the Brewers. Uh, went uh, two for four in that game, did strike out twice. So I mean, that's something, you know, for Engel is just even when it's going well for him, does strike out a lot. But uh, those two hits uh, were his second homer of the year and his fifth double of the year. And over his last 11 games, really filling out the box score pretty nicely. 333 average, two homers, two doubles, a triple, a couple of steals, uh, just... Again, beware that that 333 average is not the result of Engel all of a sudden not striking out as much. <laughs> He's got a 458 BABIP over that period. So, yeah, I think maybe the moral of the story here with Adam Engel is that, you know, when he does go on a nice high, hot streak, you know, maybe when he gets a little bit of BABIP help, there's the potential for some nice uh, combination of power and speed. Uh, but, again... That the issue with him is going to be getting hits, getting on base, not striking out too much. We haven't seen a whole lot of movement uh, in, in that direction for Adam Engel. So, uh, folks, it's been on hitters so far, but a lot of notable pitching performances from Sunday. Michael Waka, an inning short of a no-hitter. Break that one down a little bit. Uh, a great start from Felix Hernandez. Best we've seen in a long time from him. Uh, some, some good uh, pitcher duels. Uh, to, to take a look at John Lester and Steven Matz and a mea culpa for me on Jake Junis maybe the first time all season two months plus into the season and I'm going to have some nice things to say about Jake Junis and some not so great things to say about what I've had said about Jake Junis in the past anyway all that and much much more coming up right after this break Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. 
Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melker, and I just realized coming out of this break that I said I was going to break those Yankee home runs down for you like 30 minutes ago and never did. So uh, probably had plenty of time to look them up yourself, but uh, in case you haven't, uh, Glaber Torres with his 10th home run of the season, uh, Greg Bird with his second, and Austin Romine. Man, when he, he plays, he hits. Uh, one for three in this one with a walk, and that one hit was his fourth homer of the season. Uh, so that's all uh, helped to add up to a 7-2 lead for the uh, Yankees, and that one is now almost over uh, we're in the bottom of the ninth there at uh, Comerica Park. And uh, let me just take a quick look and see. Yeah, we have no lineups, so nothing else to talk about with uh Tonight's very, very small slate, but we got lots to talk about in terms of the Sunday slate uh, and pitching performances and Michael Waka being tremendous against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Eight no-hit innings, did start off the ninth, gave up uh, a leadoff single to Colin Moran, got yanked. Uh, uh, Jordan Hicks came in, finished it off, uh, but uh, terrific start for Waka. So just the one hit in eight-plus innings, no runs, two walks, eight Ks. Uh, Waka now has a very, very slim 2.41 ERA. Uh, however, he's also got a 242 BABIP that has certainly helped uh, helped him out fantasy-wise. And there's there's just not a whole lot there to suggest that Waka would be a better-than-average BABIP pitcher. So I do think that there's some regression that's likely to come Michael Waka's way. You know, the, the, of course, the important question is, how much? Because if, if Michael Walker is, say, a 3.1 or a 3.2 ERA pitcher instead of a 2.41, who cares? <laughs> right? Who cares? Uh, and the thing is, the strikeout-to-walk ratio is not that impressive. He's got a, a very just sort of ordinary 21% strikeout rate, which is you know, pretty much where he's been the last few seasons. And the walk rate's up this year, 9.4%. So it's a, it's a bit elevated. But the, the nice hope for Michael Waka is that he's just not given up many home runs. And that's been a perennial strength of his. And no doubt helped by pitching his home games at Bush Stadium. But if you just take the home run rate, which is 0.5 per nine innings, which is, you know, particularly in this era of high home run rates, that is microscopic. But let's just say you, you take that as a given. Then you could trust the FIP. And Waka's FIP is 3.31. And again, that's also not taking account that the, the home run rate stays steady, but that he doesn't improve those strikeout, strikeout or walk rates, which he could uh, based on his you know past record. He could at least marginally improve those. I don't think he's going to be giving up uh, half a home run every nine innings going forward. I just, you know, I don't see it no matter how favorable his home park is no matter uh, how good his past resume is, it's not been that good. His career HR9 ratio 
is 0.82. So I do think Waka, is, is, he's due for some home run regression. He's due for some Babbitt regression. And I think the XFIP is probably a little closer to being trustworthy. That's 3.77. And without a great strikeout or walk rate, Walk is not that really attractive a fantasy option. You know, more of like a two-start guy or maybe a one really good matchup guy. So certainly looks like a great time if you're a Michael Waka owner to put him over on your, your trade block and see what happens because I don't know that it's getting any better than this uh, right now for Michael Waka. And also he's 7-1, uh, which has obviously helped to to boost up his fantasy value and uh, – Probably a little bit of regression in, in that category as well. Uh, we, Like I said earlier, we had some really uh, good pitchers' duels on uh, Sunday. We had Blake Snell, who's just continuing to be uh, just fantastic and, and consistently so. Uh, six scoreless innings against the Mariners. Two hits, no walks, and 12 strikeouts. I mean, could you have imagined a year ago Blake Snell getting 12 strikeouts without any walks in the start? But he's really remade himself, not necessarily into a, a great control pitcher. His control is actually below average. But he's been really good at getting hitters to chase bad pitches. So that's how you get 12 Ks and no walks uh, against uh, against the Mariners. But uh, Felix Hernandez, a uh, very good start for him as well. Uh, one run allowed over eight innings, five hits, just one walk, and seven Ks. Really strong start for Hernandez. Uh who's you know, by and large been been disappointing this year, did get 16 ground balls against the Rays. And it turns out that the Rays lead the American League at ground ball rate. They've got, a, a, as a team, a 45% ground ball rate. So I'm chalking at least some of this one uh, up to the matchup. But, uh, you know, we'll see how uh, Felix Hernandez does the very next time out. We also had a nice matchup between the Cubs and the Mets, John Lester and Steven Matz. Both of them going seven innings. Uh, Lester did not allow a run over his seven innings. Only two hits and three walks. Seven Ks against the Mets, who have been one of the worst teams against lefties. So I think that's something. I know I'm, I'm kind of beating up on the, the the old pitchers, the old stud pitchers here. Uh, but Lester did go into this one with a pretty nice matchup. But that said, I mean, he's got a 2.44 ERA on the season. So it's not like he had you know, horrible stats coming into the start. But like Michael Waka, a very low bat up rate, 254. He's also got an 84% strand rate, which is probably about 10%, 10 percentage points above where you could reasonably expect it. And the thing that worries me a bit about Lester is that he's, he's been several years removed from being a really good ground ball pitcher. But this year he's really kind of, jumped into fly ball territory here. He's only got a 37% ground ball rate. So, you know, with Lester, there's no, you know, big overwhelming sign that he is on the verge of major decline. It's just been over the last two, three years, just sort of a steady, solid chipping away at his uh, skill indicators. And this is kind of the latest step in that. So that has me a little concerned for John Lester and, and certainly not buying into a 244 uh, ERA. Uh, Steven Matz, in his seven innings, two runs on five hits, two walks, seven strikeouts. And since the 1st of May, 
Uh, Matt has a 2.32 ERA with 24, or I'm sorry, 22 strikeouts and 13 walks and 31 innings. So there's a ratio that should certainly concern you. And let's dump him into the uh, the same bin with Michael Waka and um, John Lester with a very low BABIP that um, is not fully supported. I think of the three that I probably buy a lowish BABIP for Matt's more so than, than I would for, uh, uh, for, for Lester or for, or, or for Waka. But, um, you know, obviously a regression candidate there as well. So I've been, you know, pretty negative actually up to this point, other than in regard to Blake Snell. But let me say some nice things about Jake Junis, because uh, I have been on the show advising people to trade him, to sell him high. I did it myself. I followed my own advice, and now I regret it. <laughs> and I, I, you know, usually when Junis makes a start, I'll say, I don't know how he keeps doing this, but you know, he goes deep into games. He's, he had the one start where he gave up, I think it was five home runs, something outrageous like that. Uh, but, you know, generally kind of keeping the, the home runs uh, under control, especially lately. And I'll get to that lately in a minute. But on Sunday against the A's, Junis, again, another deep start, seven and a third innings, three runs on six hits and just one walk. The good control is something I'll always buy into with Jake Junis uh, and nine strikeouts. Now, in his first eight starts, Junis gave up a total of 11 home runs. And again, a lot of those came in just one start. But in his last four starts, he has allowed just one home run. And the reason I had been skeptical was because early on this season, he was uh, he giving up uh, long-distance fly balls, uh, high-exit velocity fly balls. And combined with what he did last year, when the average fly ball hit off of Junis went a total of 333 feet, which is really far as an average. Uh, I just thought, okay, I can't buy into the success. This guy is, is, is basically, I was thinking of it as, you know, sort of Jeff Samarja syndrome where it throws a lot of strikes, but maybe too many strikes, too hittable. Well, since the beginning of May, uh, the average fly ball distance off of Junis is just 299 feet. And on the season, that's brought the numbers down on the season, he's down to 311 feet on average on fly balls. And of all the pitchers who have allowed at least 50 fly balls to date, only three of them have a lower distance on average than Junis. And bear in mind that that's including the month of April when he was allowing longer distances. And yet he's still one of the leaders in that category. So yeah, Judas allows a lot of fly balls. And for the last month plus, he's not been allowing a lot of hard contact on them. So that certainly takes away a worry. I mean, he's not going to hurt you in strikeouts. He's not always going to get nine strikeouts in seven and a third like he did against the A's, but he's going to be at least decent for strikeouts. He's probably going to be great for whip. And the home runs aren't necessarily uh, as much of a problem as I thought they were. So, yes, I was I think I was wrong about Jake Junis. Now, maybe I'm overreacting to five weeks of data, just like I overreacted to maybe the first four weeks. But those first four weeks were in combination with last year. So that's actually a much bigger set of data. Um, So I, I probably shouldn't draw too many conclusions too strongly 
off of this recent run by Junis, but I also shouldn't dismiss it either. It's now a large enough sample that I think I need to give him a fair hearing for each of his upcoming starts. And certainly if you still own him, uh, I think it's worth go, going for the ride to see where this, this goes for Jake Junis. Uh, Matt Cook, a good bounce back start for him against the Marlins. In fact, this was kind of sort of uh, a pitcher's duel. Cook uh, certainly getting the better of it. Seven scoreless innings, three hits, no walks, six Ks against the Marlins. His opponent was Dan Straley. Uh, now, the thing I want to point out about this matchup is even though it was at uh, Chase Field, and if it had been Marlins Park, you know, could make the same caveat because they're two good uh, venues for pitchers. But this is the this was the matchup between the number one and number two pitchers in terms of highest exit velocity on airborne balls. So even in a good pitcher's park, this did not look like it was going to shape up to be a pitcher's duel. Now, Australia only lasted four and a third. Uh, he did walk five batters, uh, which I'm sure had something to do with him lasting only a four and a third, but only one run on two hits and four Ks for Australia. So not all bad for him. And so these two guys who give up a lot of hard contact teamed up to uh, keep keep the ball in the park and not give up too many uh, extra base hits. Uh, so very unlikely matchup. But I would certainly, despite their home venues, I just don't trust either one uh, because of all that hard contact, the high exit velocities, and both of them being fly ball prone uh, on top of it. Uh, Derek Rodriguez made his debut as a starter for the Giants against the Phillies, and he did much better than Jake Arrieta did uh, in that same game. Rodriguez going six innings, just one run on five hits and two walks with six Ks. Uh, so nice, promising start there uh, for, for Rodriguez. Uh, you know, to me, it's really a, still you know, deep league option at best. But, uh, you know, certainly beats, uh, say, you know, what happened with, like, Walker Lockett, where he made one start, it wasn't very good, and got sent down immediately. So a little promise there for, for Derek Rodriguez. Anibal Sanchez with a good start uh, for the Braves against the Nationals on Sunday. Seven scoreless innings, only two hits, only one walk, five Ks. He's now got a 2.16 ERA, but let's put him in that group with Mats and uh, Lester and... Uh, can't remember who else I put in there, uh, but uh, oh, and Michael Waka with a very low BABIP. Uh, however, he's not allowing a whole lot of, of hard contact. So 212 BABIP, yeah. I mean, nobody's going to maintain that except maybe, you know, some reliever who's extremely good at uh, avoiding hard contact. But uh, yeah, Annabelle Sanchez is not going to be a 212 BABIP guy, BABIP guy, but maybe he'll be 270, 280. Uh, Dylan Kobe with another pretty good start. This one uh, gets Milwaukee Brewers. One run over five innings. Uh, and that was an unearned run. Four hits, three walks, seven Ks. So more strikeouts uh, we're seeing from Dylan Kobe than we saw during his time last year. Just generally much more effective. Uh, 63% ground ball rate. He's given up three extra base hits in 22 and a third innings. None have been homers, none have been triples. It's just three doubles and a bunch of singles for Dylan Covey so far in 22 and a third innings. So a little bit of intrigue there, especially with the uh, slightly elevated strikeout rate. And I'm going to finish up here with a couple of pitchers. This has been, you know, mostly good performances I've, I've highlighted. A uh, couple of bad performances to just take note of. Alex Wood 
only making it two innings, uh, but at Coors Field against the Rockies, six runs, five hits, three walks, two Ks, uh, which you could just chalk up to Coors Field, no problem, if it weren't for the fact that Wood's last start also wasn't very good, and it was against the Padres. Uh, Came up five runs in five and a third innings. That said, no discernible dip in velocity, no discernible problem. So it just might be an off start against the Padres followed up by just, you know, a bad start of course, which could happen to just about anybody. Uh, But, you know, just put that on your radar. And also put Luis Castillo on your radar. Uh, (laughs) As I just picked on the Padres in that last one, uh, Castillo victimized by those same Padres only lasted four and two thirds innings on Sunday, giving up uh, four runs on six hits with a walk and three Ks. And his last start, also, similar pattern here, against a team that's not hitting great, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, at Arizona, not in Cincinnati either, at Arizona giving up four earned runs in five innings. And again, no velocity concerns there for Castillo, but just Alex Wood, Luis Castillo, keep an eye on those two, back-to-back, uh, poor starts for them. Uh, and, you know, pitchers that I had, you know, they have had their ups and downs this season, but, you know, prior to these two starts really had come to trust this year. So uh, maybe not automatic starts going forward for uh, either one of those two. So that's a, that's a wrap for this show. So uh, I think that uh, Yankees game at this point should be done. Yeah, 7-4 Yankees. Tigers picked up a couple of runs at the bottom of the ninth. Uh, so got a few games tonight. But mostly just sit back, enjoy the MLB draft. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Best of luck to you this week. And I will be back here with Matt Modica tomorrow, Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Have a great one, everybody.